Second Peter, and we'll be reading from verses 1 through 10. I'll be reading out of the ESV. There's Bibles there in the pews if you don't have one. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, it says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago was not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare an ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what it is going to happen to ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them, day after day he was tormenting his righteousness soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust and the defiling passions and despise authority." May God add a blessing to His Word. Please be seated. We are continuing our series in Peter, and we are now in 2 Peter, and now we're in um, the second chapter of Peter. And last week, I preached on having confidence in God's Word by way of the eyewitness accounts that tells us and gives us validity to it. The prophetic word and the accuracy of prophecy, which is 100%. But also the Holy Spirit who revealed this prophetic word is also the Holy Spirit that operates within us and keeping us. This week, within this morning's text, we will look at Peter's warning and explore the characteristics of false teachers who have come in or who may already be in the church. Our text this morning is at the heart of Peter's letter to the churches as it relates to false teachers. This is why he wrote the letter so quickly after his first letter. And he basically told them they will always be there. And so we need to be discerning. As to their characteristics, we need to be discerning as to their false teaching so that we may not fall prey to it, that we may not be ineffective, that we may not be fruitful in our faith. You know, the theme of 2 Peter, as we go through it, is to be diligent in your faith. And part of being diligent in our faith is discerning towards false teachers and their destructive heresies. With that being said, let's, in the title of the sermon, 
that I have for you this morning is discerning false teachers by their heresies and characteristics. So let's explore that. Verse 1, But false prophets also among the people, just as there were false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. We talked about when Peter wrote his letter, right? 65, 67 A.D., if my memory serves me correctly. And already they're dealing with false teachers. Already they're dealing with heresies. Already they're dealing with complications as it relates to the interpretation of God's Word. You know, when we look at the term heresy, this is the definition, a belief or opinion contrary to orthodox religion, especially Christian, as, to it, as it relates to doctrine, which is the sound teaching of the church. It's an opinion varying from the true exposition of the Christian faith. A chosen course of thought or action based on an opinion. Now, if you notice in this definition, there's one word that keeps popping up, and it's opinion, which again is a chosen course of thought and action. And this opinion runs contrary to what is called orthodox or orthodoxy, which means that which is widely accepted as truth by the churches, not as determined by man, but as be determined by God's word. You see, sometimes we need to understand the history of the church. There were men studying. There were men interpreting Scripture, and they were doing it diligently for hundreds of years to make sure that sound doctrine was being taught within the churches. You know what one of the first heresies that the church faced early in its infancy? It's found in the book of Acts in chapter 15 where Luke is writing, where we see that newly saved Gentiles, that's non-Jews, came to Christ as reported in chapter 10. The gospel was carried to the Gentiles. But they were now being pressured by believing Jews that they had to be circumcised in addition to the grace of the gospel. The Jewish Christians were what we call Judaizers. Men who believed in that in order to really be saved, other than by grace, they also had to hold to certain aspects of the law. As Scripture in Acts 15 says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This isn't one specific heresy. This continues today. There are churches today that promote that it's more than just grace. For salvation, you have to do certain things. You have to hold to certain things in order to truly be saved. So this first appeared early in the church. Now granted, there was some confusion there, right? Because these are Jewish Christians coming out of the law. Now we have Gentiles coming in. We're a little confused. So what happened? They went to their very first council and they took the issue to Jerusalem. And they discussed it. And finally, James came out with a verdict. Remember James, the half-brother of Jesus, providing judgment to say not to trouble the Gentiles with the legal law of the Jews, but to have them abstain from sexual immorality. 
And so right away we see how easy that false teaching could come into the church, be entertained, be validated, be justified. But this wouldn't even be the first time that the church would meet as a, as a church council. In fact, do you remember the church councils? How about the one in uh, 325, the Nicene Council? It had to address Arianism, which questioned the divinity of Christ. Then there's Constantinople, 381. That was to further refine the Nicene Creed because people had problems with Christ, humanity, and divinity. Then we have the Council of Ephesus in 431 that addressed Nestorianism and Pelagianism. Pelagianism is the belief that Adam's sin did not carry on to everybody, that you're not born into sin. You come that way by your first choice when you decide not to do what God says to do, and then now you're a sinner. I guess that lasts for the first time you cry for milk. I don't know. Right? There's Chalcedon, 451. They address Christ's human and divine nature again. And these are just a few within the first half century of the church. There were many more councils. We don't have time to go into them. And I would, if you ever just want to study that, it's a fascinating study, and I would encourage you to do that. But what we're seeing here is people coming up with heresies, false teachings that have to be addressed by councils. And the decisions that they made at these councils were not 50 to 49. They were overwhelmingly towards the validity of Scripture. Now, how do these heresies come from? Where do they generate from? Well, they come from two sources. The first comes from an opinion that is defined by way of pride and arrogance and is willfully persistent in adherence to the error that they promote. Within the Catholic faith, they call this a formal heresy. This is a person, by way of pride, is sticking to their false teaching and is not going to let go of it and is not responding to reproof or correction. The second source, and a lot of them are, it's ignorance. By not properly interpreting God's Word. This is in the Catholic faith, they call it a material heresy, where it's just a lack of knowledge or understanding or proper interpretation We've all fallen underneath that one. We've all misinterpreted Scripture at one point or another in our walk. But did we get it right? That's the most important part. Here's an example of both, a formal and a material heresy. And it's promoted by a false female teacher of today, of prominence. Now, I'm going to be talking about a couple of false teachers. I'm not going to give names. That's not appropriate but I'm sure you can figure them out if you pay any attention to them. But she's a prominent female teacher today, and she did the opening greeting for 3 John 1.1, which says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes with your soul. Now, from this verse, this female teacher went on to say, God does not desire you to be sick and desires you to be prosperous in every way. That's not what this verse is saying. Not even close. It's not a theological statement. It's not a doctrinal statement. It's not even a teaching statement. It's a general introductory statement from John. 
It's a prayer. It's a sentiment. It's a well wish. And yet this false teacher based her entire teaching on prosperity on this scripture, misapplying it to suit her theme. And it's led to false teaching. Now what is interesting when you read or hear about false teachers and the councils that met to address them in the past is that they're based more on human understanding of what the verse is saying versus proper hermeneutical interpretation. There's a process to properly interpreting Scripture. It's based, their, 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 their interpretation of Scripture is based more on an eisegetical, which means they're reading into it, to fit their narrative versus what the Scripture is actually saying in the context from which it's being said. In fact, most, if not all, false teachers also claim to be prophetic. They come from hyper-Pentecostalism, where they believe they hear from God as to a new revelation for their ministry. They even tell you a prophetic word for you, too. And people fall for that. Man has always attempted to define within their own mind the things of God. To wrap their head around it. Versus opening their heart and minds and being taught by God. We know this scripture. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Do not lean under thy own understanding. Do not lean under your own understanding. God's word says what God's word says. And we need to use proper interpretation. We talked about that last week. So what are some of the heresies today that are out there? Well, the first one is the word of faith, which is a belief in the force of faith. It is believed words can be used to manipulate faith force and thus actually create what they believe, Scripture promises, health and wealth. Laws supposedly governing the forced faith are said to operate independently of God's sovereignty and will, and that God himself is subject to these laws. That's nothing short of idolatry. And by extensions, places you as a God. In fact, there's one false teacher who said to a person that says, I believe in the sovereignty of God, and if God wanted to be rich, it would be within his sovereign will that I would be rich. And he said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, and that statement is not biblical, and I got a song for you. How dumb thou art. I couldn't believe it when I was watching that. That these laws operate outside of God's sovereignty. How is that possible? Another is the grace movement. This teaching says God loves you unconditionally, no matter what you do and regardless of how you live. I know people who don't go to church, who don't study God's Word, and say they're Christian, and say they can live the life that they live because God loves them. That's false teaching. Then there's the gospel of social justice. We just recently started hearing that one putting social justice issues ahead of preaching Christ and Him crucified. Did you notice that when you read through the Gospels, Jesus never addresses the social injustice that's going on with the Jews at the time. 
He didn't come down here and say, you know, we got to do something about this Roman occupation. We got to do, no. In fact, he rebuffed it. He rebuked people who tried to promote him to deal with it. He tried to escape it before they made him king. The reason why Jesus rebuffed it is because Jesus was always pointing people to the kingdom of heaven and not the kingdom of the earth. Another is New Age spirituality, which teaches the experiencing God is equal or something greater than holding the doctrinal teaching from God's word. It's what you experience. It's what you feel. It's more about feeling than knowing. It's about experience, not holding the doctrine. This is dangerous because you don't have a foundational footing. You don't have a foundational doctrinal setting. And so whatever you feel, well, that's what that scripture means. And these are just a few. I didn't even talk about universalism, where everybody goes to heaven, or there's many paths to God. And not to mention the ones that we talked about in the councils back in the early part of the first century. Yeah, they're still all prevalent today. And they keep surfacing. Like my brother would say, it's like taking that, uh, that beach ball and putting it underwater. It keeps popping up until you pop it with a pin or something. Now, understanding now what heresy is in a brief history in the church and examples of today as to what's out there, what are the characteristics of false teachers? What identifies them? Well, the first one we've seen in that first verse is pride. Even denying the master who bought them. How does that work? You've heard me say this before as it relates to pride, in that it blinds us. It deceives us. It elevates our own position above all others to and include God at times. It acts in independent spirit, and it operates in an I'm right manner. As it relates to heresy, it operates in the intellect, fueled by arrogance. It lacks humility, which hinders being corrected when in error. Have you ever met a person who, when you show them they are wrong with factual evidence, whether it's a basketball statistic or something in life or a law or something somebody said at one point in time, and you actually show them the factual evidence, they continue to justify what they said to ensure that they don't lose their point because they cannot stand being wrong. That's at the heart of false teaching when it comes to a formal heresy. It's a prideful heart. I know more than you. I know how to properly interpret that scripture. And as a pastor, you know, people come up and say, well, what does that scripture mean? I, I'm going to have to study that. I'm going to have to, before I just give out an answer, I'm going to have to study that in its proper context. I don't ever want to give an interpretation because, oh, I'm a pastor. I better come up with an answer quick. Quick, Tim, get on your feet. Give him an answer. No. No. Because you do have to study the Scripture to make sure 
you understand its context, its historical setting, the original audience, what was said before, what was said afterwards, as my brother pointed out this morning in Scripture. But when it comes to a prideful heart, whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Proverbs 15.32 And so pride is the most significant characteristic of a false teacher. The next one is found in verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. Now, what does that mean, sensuality? The word used here by Peter means a lack of self-control as it relates to moral behavior. It's an abandonment to a moral behavior. Your Bible, is inter- your Bible might say destructive lifestyle or destructive behaviors. Now, on the surface, I don't think you and I in this setting this morning would follow a teaching, preaching, that promotes sensuality or destructive behavior. You'd be able to spot it right away. Yet it creeps into the church as evidence of moral failure of pastors and leaders. We've seen our fair share of church leaders go down because of a moral issue. Worship makes its way into preaching and teaching in the church. In fact, right now, in the church today, there's a very prominent push towards teaching of no absolute truth. And it's relativism. And it's making its way. And a good example of this, if you go back to the last week's sermon about proper interpretation of Scripture, is when somebody says, well, that's what that Scripture means to me. Scripture says what Scripture says. And its meaning is not derived on, based upon how you feel when you read it. Your feeling and emotions have no bearing on the Scripture's interpretation. People interpret Scripture to justify behavior, especially of a sexual nature, which is sensuality. And it falls under what Peter is saying here. A great example of this in some churches, they preach and teach that homosexuality is biblically okay. Preaching and teaching it from the pulpit. There's nothing wrong with it. That's the way God made you. And yet, what do we see in Scripture? You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. How about New Testament? For this very reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for that which are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And the context of what Paul is saying is, in fact, homosexuality. And these are just a few verses that address it. So when people say the Bible doesn't say anything about homosexuality, yes, it does. And it's not an acceptable lifestyle in the eyes of God. And we all know people, we have friends, we have family that live this lifestyle and that breaks our heart. And we still love them because we want them to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We want them to become delivered.
Now what's driving this is not some new study found some scroll in some cave or science founding the gene, the homosexual gene that makes them do what they do. None of that's there. What's happening is social shifts and pressures against the churches. One of the false teachers says, my view on homosexuality is progressing. What does that mean? At one time he held a pretty stern position on it. Now he's like, it's progressing. What does that mean? I've heard prominent pastors, you can go to YouTube, you get prominent pastors on like Larry King Live and and other major news interviews ask what their stance is on homosexuality, and they dance around it. I was recently asked as a pastor, my very first time, if our church accepts LGBTQ. My answer was short and to the point. If they come seeking God in a renewed life in Christ and repent, our doors are open, we'll minister to them, and we will love them. But if they come and demand to be accepted for who they are and how they live and defend it by Scripture, then this is not the church for you. Because we don't support LGBTQ. This is an example of false teaching in our time as it relates to the sensuality Peter is warning us about. So the first characteristic of a false teacher is that they promote sensuality, which is immoral and destructive behavior. The next is found in verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Now in this verse, we see two characteristics of false teachers. Greed and exploitation. And at the very heart of a false teacher is not Christ, but themselves. They desire the attention. They desire the popularity. They desire the control. They desire the power, the recognition, and the following that they develop. They're narcissists who always are looking inward and never outward. And their greed motivates them. Greed here means to covet something. It is to desire to have what someone else has, not because they have it or not because you want the same thing. It's because they have it. You want to take it from them. False prophets uses people for their own advantage to obtain their own desires. 1 Timothy 6.9, we see this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. As a result of their covetousness, they exploit people with false words. I love what Chuck Smith says. He says, a true shepherd wants to feed the flock. A false teacher wants to fleece the flock. Remember that false teachers are about 95% correct in what they're saying scripturally. And because of their charismatic, they manipulate 5% to deceive people and conceal it in their teachings. One of the false teachers that is within the church today is a prosperity gospel preacher 
where they teach that Satan has stole from you the riches of God, has ordained for you, and we can claim them back by proclaiming what is rightfully ours. And in one way in which you begin that process is to release to God to show how sincere you are in your faith. And of course, he's talking about releasing money to his ministry. And they use terms like seed and planting a seed. And one of, the, one of these false teachers' favorite saying is, God will not release that which you will hold on to. Sounds biblical. It's not. And of course, he was speaking of a $1,000 seed to his ministry. In fact, he actually said to hold on, get this, to hold on to that $1,000 is to act in greed. Because that which you are unwilling to release is what controls you. To give $1,000 demonstrates that it does not have control over you. Now, how clever is that? Demonstrate to me that you're not greedy. Give me $1,000. I'm glad I'm not preaching this when my kids were 14. You see, they get you to think that you're greedy. God doesn't like greed. So they want you to give it up. To show that you're not controlled by it. And all the while, he takes it to the bank and promises you that you will receive tenfold, but it never comes. You know why? Because you lack the faith. It's your fault. Here's the question. If you're not greedy, why would you need more money? Why would I give you $1,000 if I'm not greedy? I don't need more money. And why can't I just take that same $1,000 and plant my own seed? That's because they use the prophetic word. They think that they're the channel of God that you need to use to get to God to release the riches that are due you. This is one of the dangers of the prophetic ministry and that people believe that certain people are vessels of God used to hear and discern things that they should discern themselves. You do not need a mediator between you and God except Christ Jesus. I do not have special powers or special discernments to tell you what God is telling you. You all have the Holy Spirit. You all have, you're all able to approach the throne of grace in a time of need. I'm here to help, steer, remind you, encourage you, lift you up. But if you think I have some kind of special discernment to tell you what's going on in your life and how to fix it, it's not my gift. My job is to train and equip, preach the word of God in spirit and truth, to teach. I'll be by your side. And we'll study scripture together. And we'll get you over whatever you're going through. But some people believe that pastors have that direct communication with God that they don't have. I don't believe that. I'm no different than you. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Been called to preach the word of God. And they manipulate people by that prophetic word. And people fall for it more than you can imagine. 
because they're vulnerable. They're in financial situations. One of the false teachers says, I don't care if you're bankrupt and you're going through bankruptcy and you don't have any money, find yourself $1,000 and give it to the Lord. And they do. In fact, this one pastor says, I can make anyone, this one pastor, I can make anyone a millionaire if they would just listen to me. How about training and equipping the saints for work of ministry? How about that as a pastor? I believe that's his role, not making you millionaires. The prosperity gospel has been shown time and time again to be a false teaching because their focus is on the riches of the world. They forgot what Jesus said. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What kind of deposits are you making for eternity? What investments are you making in eternity? And so we see the characteristic of false teachers in that they are filled with pride. They live and teach sensuality. They're greedy and they exploit the vulnerable. Now isn't it interesting that Peter is describing what they produce as far as character. He describes their character and not their doctrine. What fruit they produce. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I wish I had that picture that I had earlier up. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from the thorn bushes? Are figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. False teachers are known by what they produce. There's a trustworthy saying I use every day in my job. My real job. Not my real job, but my other job. This is my real job, right? Even though it's part-time, but... It's not what they say that determines one's character. It's what one does that reveals it. You can tell me all day long... I sit across people every day telling me how good a person they are, and I'm looking at their law enforcement record. Or I talk to a source and they say, he's a good person, he's a good boy. You've got a felony. I don't care what you say. Well, I mean, I do care what you say, but I care more about how you do. Because what you do is really who you are. Now, having explored what heresy is and addressing some of their characteristics, we need to also understand that these false teachings are not without their consequences. They're not going to get off. And if you're frustrated with them, don't worry. God is in control. Verse 4 through 10. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment... If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserve Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of ungodly, 
If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued the righteous lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds, and that he saw and heard, sounds familiar today, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous from under punishment until the day of judgment. Whereas angels, though greater and mighty in power, did not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Brothers and sisters, God is not aware of false teachers that have come into His church and that are in His church. I remember when I first started learning how to preach, I didn't know any better. I would go home at lunch on base when I was still in the Air Force, and I'd turn on TBN, and I'd listen to all kinds of preachers to learn. Oh, okay, oh, I like how he did that, or whatever. I was being trained in expository preaching. What I was hearing was not expository preaching. And finally, it came to a head, where what I was studying was not matching what they were saying. And I had long conversations with then Pastor David. I'm like, Pastor David. And he would always point me to Scripture. What does the Scripture say? What does your hermeneutical training tell you? Then I started to realize what they were saying was not true. Because I was comparing it to what was. And that's how you determine what is a counterfeit. You can't go around and identify everything that's counterfeit, but if you know what's true, you automatically see the differences. God is a God of accountability. And those who teach heresy, promote false teaching, and destructive immoral behavior will be held accountable before God. That's not only a stern warning to them, but it's a stern warning to us as too. To us too. To make sure that we're properly understanding the Word of God, rightly dividing it. Whether they are heavenly creatures such as angels, mass people living in sin such as the world during the flood, or cities and nations that promote and live under ungodly rules and lifestyles, they will be judged. Even the followers and believers in Christ will be judged by what? The judgment seat of Christ. We will also be held accountable. That's something we don't hear a lot in the church today. We're not going to face the same judgment that unbelievers face, but we will face the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat of Christ for what we've done with the gospel and the things that we've said and the things that we've done. You know, I can't help but think that Jesus, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, applies to false teachers when he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You know what that's telling me? is that there are people walking around this earth today, false teachers who have people convinced that they are led by God. 
But in the end, their judgment is going to come before the righteousness of God, the truth of God's Word, and they are going to be revealed as to who they really are. But these scriptures, verses 4 through 10, also provide us an encouragement the believers, in that we are, may be surrounded by false teachers, we may be surrounded by corruption, we may be, that's even found in the church, but God will never release His grip from you or I. Noah was surrounded by evil for over 100 years while he built the ark that would save just but seven souls. Lot surrounded by sensuality living and tormented by that, about what was happening around him in the world, was rescued by God. And if God can keep Noah and God can keep Lot from being polluted by the false teaching and the unrighteous living that lives around them and exists around them, then He can keep you too if we stay focused on Him. False teachers have been around since the creation of time. They may not always come. They will not only come, but they're also found in the churches today. They speak heresies and are based on semblance of truth, but are perverted in their execution for their own benefit. They are prideful and self-orientated. They live and preach sensuality, and they have greed in their heart, and they exploit those who are vulnerable. And the way in which we protect ourselves from their destructive ways and false teachings is to be discerning ourselves and trust in the Lord with all of our heart. The best way to detect a fraud, as I said, is to know the truth, to know what's real. I want to leave you with this verse from Ephesians, which I think sums it up well. Until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. How do we keep ourselves but trusting in the Lord and continuing to grow in the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding of God's Word, laying hold that foundation which is in Christ and build upon it solidly, so that when we are faced with false teachings, when we are faced with people misusing Scripture, we're able to discern it and not give in to it and be mature. So this morning I talked about false teachers and the heresies that they promote. Next week I'll give part two of this same sermon because it's at the very heart of what Peter is saying in his letter. And it's still happening today. It's still relevant today. And I pray and hope that I preach that relevance this morning and next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks and praise that your word is truth. It will always steer us in the right direction. It will never mislead. It will never misguide. And it will never lie to our hearts. And so, Father, I pray that we would be discerning of your word. I pray that we would study your word. I pray that we would hold it and write it upon our hearts. And that, Father, we would live your word. And that, Father, you would put a hedge of protection around not only this church and any church that claims your name from false teachings, but also protect us, Lord, from the false teachings that are in this world that sound cunning, sound right, sound good, 
but Father, in the end, lead to destruction. Always give us a discernment, Lord, by way of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.